Amen. Hey, once again, we're on World Religions. I guess I already did that. Uh, World Religions, Colts and the Uncle. And we're on the exciting fourth topic, and it rhymes with, come on, last time here. Hinduism. It took me a little while, but you guys got it. That's right, Hinduism. And we've already seen what it is. We've seen what they base their beliefs on. We've seen the history and the chronology of Hinduism, the evangelization. We're going to get into that again tonight, Lord willing, of Hinduism into the West. We looked at their terminology. We looked at their belief systems. And last time you were here, we took a look at nine major beliefs. Now, again, we saw before, just basically, it's so easy to become a Hindu because come one, come all, 330 million different gods, uh, who's counting? Uh, somebody is, apparently. And uh, it's just all roads lead to heaven. It's that same mentality that's creeping into not only America, but into the American church, unfortunately. And uh, so basically, they got it down to as long as you believe that the Vedas are inspired, you're a Hindu somehow. You could even be an atheist and still be a Hindu, as long as you believe that. But we saw that there's basically nine core beliefs last time uh, that people hold to uh, for true Hindu uh, beliefs, okay? And that's where we left off. Now we are on this second page. Moment of silence. Thank you for cooperating there. Uh, second page of Hinduism, and hopefully we can get it done tonight. Hinduism, though, we said all that to get to this, can be divided into two parts. Number one, popular, is your first blank there. Popular Hinduism, okay, characterized by the worship of gods through offerings, rituals, and prayers. If you were here last time, we saw that one of the ways they do that is to the murti, the idol worship, the image worship, and things of that nature, okay? But that's kind of a, a popular Hinduism, if you will. Another two, the second one's kind of more of a mindy approach, uh, intellectual approach, if you will. Uh, the philosophical is your next blank there. Philosophical Hinduism. That's a complex belief system developed by studying ancient texts, meditating, and that's right, practicing what? Yoga. Once again, yoga is much more than just physical exercise we're being lied to okay now within hinduism there are three major paths to salvation every single one of these is a works-based salvation it is not at all like christianity plus their version of salvation is not the same thing as our salvation the one and only salvation they you become supposedly through different techniques you can become basically nothing emerge into the all impersonal unconscious the brahma Okay, force out there. Uh, so it's not even like that. But even that, it's clearly a works-based salvation. It's not a gift. You got to do it. Okay, and again, as we saw, that's the term moksha. Okay, is their version of salvation. And basically, this is what you got to do Okay, to get out of your dilemma. Your dilemma is you are stuck in samsara, this endless cycle of reincarnation trying to work off your bad karma. So again, that's not like Christianity, but clearly even that. Uh, it's a works base. Number one, it's a salvation. Take your pick. I guess you can try anything. Number one is by works. Okay, this is what some of, some Hindus. If you here's how you get out of the system, right? This endless by works, ceremonies, sacrifices, pilgrimages, and other good deeds, right? But you're going to see in any works-based salvation, and they're not the only ones. Again, all religions on the planet, except for Christianity, which again is not a religion, it's a relationship. But all the other religions on the planet either say you are God, you can become God, or you work your way to God. Christianity is the only one that says, uh-uh, you are not God. You're creating God's image, but you're cut off from God because of sin, and only God can save you through his son, Jesus Christ, who is God. Okay? Radically different, okay? But uh, you can somehow earn your way there out of this version of their salvation number two salvation by knowledge okay more of a, again a mindy approach by listening to the sages and their their version of the scriptures and practicing meditation with your mind and somehow you can escape and break free 
Uh, version number two. Version number three, salvation by devotion. Really getting into that murti. You're really, really demonstrating that you're a charismatic, if you will, Hindu with the, the bhakti worship and getting into it. I, I, come on, let me out of this mess. I'm serious about this. Is really kind of that approach. And this is the most popular path, okay, and it's devotion uh, to one of the Hindu gods. So basically, you're trying to appease this god and say, come on, see me, look at all I'm doing. Surely you can let me out now. Okay, but notice, is that anything at all like Christianity? Not even close. How in the world could you say all religions teach the same thing? And again, I've said this before, and we, we haven't even got into the other religions. But anybody who says all religions basically teach the same thing just told you they don't know anything about world religions, and they don't know anything, anything about Christianity. Excuse me? Okay, they're just parroting what the media is trying to tell them to think about religion okay now let's take a look at a, a quick breakdown between the two the differences hinduism versus biblical christianity look at their authority of course they have a host of sacred uh writings what they would consider sacred the uh that one by god davida whatever uh and the vedas and other uh writings that they have there uh but ours is what one the Bible, period, ipso facto, that's it. Major difference right there. And that's why it's so hard to pin them down. That's why there's such a fluidity of like, well, maybe it's this or maybe it's that. Because they're not dealing with one source of truth. And even that so-called source of truth uh, is not even reliable. Okay, so it's all over the place. Number two, their version of God. As we saw before, Brahma is an impersonal, ultimate reality, the absolute, okay? And they have their version of the triad, the break-off, if you will, of Brahma, the Brahma, uh, uh, Shiva, and Vishnu which is not at all, as we saw before, not going to go into that, we already dealt with that, with their version, if you will, the Trinity. Not at all like the biblical Trinity at all. Now, biblical Christianity, though, is you have God who has shown himself in three, but each one of them are God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Okay? And, uh, and, and it's uh, totally different there. And um, the big point is, and this is what we need to stress when we're witnessing to a Hindu, is God is personal. Right? It's like we should do a sermon series on that sometime. We just did, Pastor Billy. Thanks, Mike. We just did. I know. Yeah, we did. Uh, and again, I hope that's the point, is we don't take this for granted. What do we have? What do any other religion on the planet doesn't have? We have a personal, intimate, loving, gracious, completely did-it-all relationship with the creator of the universe. And it's real. It's not make-believe, right? Radically, radically different. Jesus, their version of Jesus. For some Hindus, Jesus was an avatar. And we saw before, some would say he's an avatar, an emanation of Krishna. Okay, uh, and, and that he's just one of many avatars, they would believe, a great spiritual teacher or guru uh, whose teachings can be valuable for today. You know, everybody loves that golden rule, do unto others as you'd have them do unto you, and somehow that merges them all together. No, it doesn't. Okay, and Jesus didn't give us an option for him to be an avatar, and Jesus is not an avatar as they teach what an avatar is. Okay, Jesus didn't leave us with that option. He either is Lord, God, and he is, or some sort of a liar or a lunatic. And he didn't lie, he is the truth, and his behavior isn't consistent with the lunatic, so he has to be Lord. Okay, Josh McDowell points that out, if you're familiar with him. Uh, but anyway, so, so that's their version of Jesus. But Jesus is both God and man. He died on the cross, literally, and literally rose again from the grave, and he paid the penalty for our sins. Avatars don't do that. It's radically, radically different. We'll get to that again in just a second. Man, their version of man. Not at all like Christianity. Uh, first of all, our existence, they believe, is maya or an illusion. Turn to somebody and say, you're not really there. Now, the major problem, they get into problem with this reality, okay, uh, is uh, what do you say about sin? Is, is that what you're going to go up to? Are you seriously going to go up to somebody who's been raped or the family was murdered, i.e. a sin was committed, 
and say, hey, don't worry about this. It's an illusion. Excuse me? When it comes to the origins of evil and suffering, Hinduism has no answer. Okay, it's not an illusion. Give me a break. Uh, man, they say, is divine? Is that what the Bible teaches? No. Okay, again, word of faith teaches that, little gods. Man is divine. Eternal soul is a part of God, they teach. People are unaware of, uh, uh, are unaware of their oneness with God. And this is what New Age teaches, right? That, that the whole goal of New Age is you need to understand who you really are. You are God, right? And that's the lie of Satan in Genesis chapter 3. We'll get into that, Lord willing, in another couple uh, issues. Okay, physical body, they say, has little worth. The human condition is an endless cycle of reincarnation. So that's man's existence. Not at all. Like the scripture, we are created in the image of God, spiritually and morally, but we are sinful by nature, and because of that, we are separated from our creator, okay? Radically different than what they say. And again, here's their version of the so-called salvation. The goal of life is to gain release or liberation from the cycle of reincarnation and to pass beyond illusion to become one with the divine, the ultimate reality, by following the proper, oh, there's that word again, yoga. Anybody starting to see a pattern? Yoga has nothing to do with physical exercise, okay? It's a spiritual issue, right? And man, we're being sold a bill of goods, path or discipline. But how do you get saved as a Christian? Nothing you could do, okay? It is a gift from God, and it's by grace through faith, right? Radically, radically different. All right, so now that's the kind of separations there. Now, the point is, what do we do? We just say, well, you guys are wacky. See you later. Have fun in hell. No. What do we do as Christians? We love them enough to tell them the truth in love. We get equipped with that, right? So we witness to them. So here's some things to keep in mind when you're witnessing to somebody who's a Hindu. And dare I say, you might be finding yourself witnessing to somebody who has a Hindu mindset but doesn't claim to be a Hindu. Can you understand that? That's how far it's penetrated our society today. Okay, number one, sanctify your heart. First Peter 3.15, that was the theme of our previous study, Defenders of the Faith. We dealt with a whole year of apologetics in that study to show your, uh, to uh, uh, give a defense for the hope that lies within you with what? Gentleness and respect, okay? So sanctify your heart. You know, be understanding this is not about a debate. You're trying to reach a lost person for Jesus Christ. Number two, pray. This is a spiritual battle uh, uh, for truth, okay? Only God can change a heart. So we have to be able to pray that God's spirit would remove the scales from their eyes, the hardness from their heart, and he'll, that he would use our words to penetrate uh, and to bring his life uh, to them. Number three, be ready with a good understanding of the scriptures. That's why you're here tonight, hopefully. Actually, I got lost. Tom, don't say that. I was feeling encouraged. He got lost. He ended up here. Well, hey, what are you going to do? But thank you for coming anyway. But no, we want to get a good understanding of the scriptures to get equipped, right? Uh, do not argue, number four. Don't attack the person, right? Because we all know we became a Christian because somebody was beating us up. Wrong answer. And I hope you guys realize that. Let's move on. Number five, make sure you define your words, right? We'll see this in the, the part seven there. Uh, avoid the Christianese. How many times have we got to say this, right? Hey, I'll tell you what, Mr. Hindu person, you need to understand that you can be justified, deep fried, sanctified, and all this fried, 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 fried. Well, what? You probably don't even know what that means yourself. What are you spouting that out for? right? Avoid the Christianese. They don't know what it means, okay? Understand what you believe and why you believe and be able to ex explain it in layman's terms, which is a test of whether or not you understand what you believe, okay? Do not get off on tangents. Oh, yeah, what about UFOs or dinosaurs? We can deal with that. We've got studies. We've dealt with that here at Sunrise, right, in great detail. So you can get equipped on that, but the main issue is salvation. There's, you can get all kinds of things wrong. Don't get wrong how you really get to heaven, 
and the only way there. The important points is source of authority, the Bible, the nature of God, the person and work of Jesus Christ, the nature of man, and the means of salvation. Okay, number seven, again, avoid Christian jargon. It has no meaning for the unchurched. That's the Christianese factor. Now, some specifics to keep in mind, right? So that's kind of preparing your heart, getting ready for this. But some specifics that you need to kind of like, you know, little teasers, if you will, right? Because sometimes people have ever, they haven't stopped to witness. Okay, I'm actually hoping when we finish up our Buddhism study, Lord willing, next, okay, that we might just happen to have a little more confidence to go where? Across the street. That's right, Bonnie, across the street at the Buddhist temple, across the street, all right? So we can understand. Let's get out there and let's pray and let's witness to these folks. Once a year, they always send us a letter, and I'm thinking about taking them up on this year, okay? They send out a letter that, hey, just want to let you know it's going to be loud. Remember, Tom, you're talking, you see the letters that come in, and uh, they're going to have music, they're going to have a festival. Well, if the timing works out, if I'm in town, Lord willing, I'd like to go this time, and I hope some of us here would go with me. Uh, if it all works out. If I can't go out, then let's get the group here. It doesn't have to just be me, but let's get equipped because they have a festival. A yearly festival is kind of like a fundraiser thing. Well, let's go over there, but let's go there with the idea of witnessing, right? Who's going to witness to them? They're right across the street. But anyway, I digress. That's next, next time. Specifics. How do, what do you with a Hindu? A Hindu cannot consistently, use your next blank there, they cannot consistently accept all their scriptures. Why? Because they are contradictory. This is something you need to point out. They based their whole belief system on these things called the Vedas and others, okay, that were written on bark and palm leaves, which you have fun trying to find the originals, you can't, okay, and, uh, and, and not only that, what they have written down that were supposedly come from this original version on bark or palm leaves contradicts themselves. So you need to lovingly, not meanly, lovingly point out, hey, you're going to base your eternal destiny on something that, you know, if it says his over here, but this supposed sacred writing of yours over here contradicts that, and you, Really? Right? And so you need to consider that. Stress the uniqueness of the Bible as God's written revelation of himself. Right? And you don't just say, hey, yours is wrong. You need to point out what makes the Bible so unique. Why would you want to switch? Why would you want to listen to this book as opposed to the Hindu Vedas and other writings? Well, as we saw before, because the Bible was written over a 1,500-year uh, span, over 40 different generations, over 40 different authors, okay, written in different places at different times, different moods, three continents, three languages, and it never once contradicts itself, and it's got the same message through and through. Man on his best day can never whip that up. Okay, the Bible is completely unique, and again, if you want to get more information on that, that's what we dealt with in our Defenders of the Faith uh, study. Number two, after settling the source of authority, hey, maybe it's time to start listening to the Bible then the Bible can start to uh, uh, give the explanation of who God really is and who man really is. What's man's real dilemma? How do you really get saved? Okay, so the first step is to get to the point of where is the real authority? That's the Bible, okay, and the problems with their so-called sources of authority, okay? But after settling that, move on to the nature of God. To the Hindu, God is an impersonal force. Underline that impersonal force okay the one true god is a personal god who desires an intimate relationship with each of his creatures and again this is i wasn't just a couple weeks ago when we dealt with the intimacy of god now we're on his next character the wisdom of god his omniscience for the big theological term okay but his omnipresence the intimacy that we have with god it's not just for us to enjoy listen people are watching us and they should be able to see you and I just enjoying this personal relationship with God, the creator of the universe. And even a Hindu looking at that going like, wow, can I have that? Because I don't get that. I'm trying all these things to get out of karma and reincarnation. I wish I could have. I wish I don't. 
Just the way we live and act and speak. If we would just ooze that which we say we know we have. But see, that's the problem, isn't it? We say, oh, Christianity is not a religion like Hinduism. It's a relationship. How do we treat it? And then you wonder why people, maybe even Hindus, look at us and go, just a religion like any other one. We need to not just know this truth that God is personal. We need to live it. For a Hindu specifically, major witnessing point. right? Major witnessing point. Number three, it's important, uh, an argument of the Hindu that will probably have to be addressed is the claim that all religions are the same. Remember, we saw that's one of their major tenets. They got 330 different million gods. They got all these different sources of supposed authority for sacred writings. And so they this and that and come one, come all. Just as long as you just believe in the Vedas, everybody's good to go. And that mentality is all over the United States, isn't it? And as we saw before, 24 to 25% of the American church believes the same thing, if you can believe that. How could you get past, as a born-again Christian, John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. And, and then read that and say, oh, no, um, all paths get you there. You just called Jesus Christ a liar. And if you really truly believe that from the heart, are you really trusting solely in Christ? Which means, are you even really saved? That's a scary thing. That's one-fourth of the church today, professing Christians. Okay, But just because you profess doesn't mean you possess Okay, stress the uniqueness of Jesus Christ as God's revelation of himself. Stress the necessity of following Jesus to the exclusion of other so-called deities and keep the gospel Christ-centered. It's only through Jesus. It's not by going to church services. It's not by saying you're going to become a member. It's not by getting water dunked on you and all that stuff. It's not by trying to keep the Ten Commandments. You can't earn It's a gift. Okay, you've got to keep it gospel-centered. But Jesus, you need to stretch the difference with Jesus. There's something different about Jesus. He's not just an avatar, okay? And he's the only way. Uh, and the scripture tells us about that real quick as we've seen before. Jesus, of course, was a miracle worker. I don't have time. He converted the water to wine. He had amazing catch of fish. He heals Peter's mother-in-law, restores people blind, restores people back from the dead, and does all kinds of uh, wild miracles over and over and over again. Uh, did Buddha do those things? Rhymes with no. Confucius. How about Muhammad? So how in the world could you say that all religions basically teach the same thing? Jesus is radically different. And these are the things you need to point out. Jesus also uh, said that he was God in the flesh. Not an avatar. Not an emanation. Right? Even Thomas, just one passage where he says, my Lord, my God. Okay, so is Buddha God? No, it's Confucius God. How about Muhammad? No. So how in the world could you say that Jesus is just another avatar just like the other guys here to come teach us the golden rule? You're calling Jesus a liar. You're not being consistent. Jesus also said, the scripture says he's the creator. Colossians chapter 1, all things were made by him and for him and through him, right? Jesus is the creator. So did Buddha create the world? How about Confucius? How about Muhammad? So how in the world could you sit there and say that they're all the same? Radically, radically different. Jesus is the only way to heaven. Again, he's the only way to have your sins forgiven. And it's a gift. Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in... If you didn't think John 14.6 was pretty clear, Acts 4.12. Salvation is found in no one else, and there is no other name under heaven given to men by which we must be saved. Who? Jesus. Right? So can Buddha save you? Did Buddha go to the cross for you? Right? The Confucius, Muhammad, how in the world could you say that all paths lead the same way? And it's just another great guy to come teach us. Jesus is radically different. Another one, the resurrection. 
The whole gospel hinges on the resurrection. Why is the resurrection so important? Because Jesus proved by rising from the grave that he was the acceptable, sinless sacrifice. If Jesus was just a normal guy, just an avatar, or just some guy here to teach his good rules, or there was just in his humanity, if he was, didn't have the virgin birth, if he was born just like the rest of us, just an average Joe, he would have had a sin nature, which means he would have sinned, which means he would not have been the perfect sacrifice. But death had no hold on him. He had to rise again from the grave because he was sinless the only one who could do that now is buddha sinless no confucius muhammad did any one of those guys rise again from the grave no with all due respect they're rotten in the grave jesus christ is alive okay these are the things that we need to point out to them in love okay jesus is radically radically different now i said all that that's how we're supposed to witness to the hindu what we're going to finish up is unfortunately how hinduism is doing a much better, masterful job of witnessing to us, and they're winning. Right? They're winning. Now, we've already seen some of the techniques they're using, schnookering us into uh, becoming good Hindus. The big one, of course, is yoga. Right? Yoga is a spiritual exercise we saw before, and uh, it means to yoke with the Hindu deities, okay? As we saw before, saying that Hinduism is purely an exercise for physical benefit would be as goofy as you and I going into a school system, sitting there saying, okay, kids, repeat after me. I'm going to help you strengthen your lower back so that you'll have proper posture in school. This is not religion. This is a good... What you do is you put your hands together like this, and you say, in Jesus' name, thank you, Jesus. And you say, I love you, Jesus, right? And then you bend over and you strengthen back up. Now do that 25 times with me. In Jesus' name, right? And, oh, there you go. How's your back? Strengthened now? Has nothing to do with religion. <laughs> That's all yoga is. And people have been snookered, man. Are you kidding me? Right? And if we tried that in the school system, again, we talked about this before, how long would it last? They said, get out of here. You're teaching Christianity. It's the same thing with Hinduism and yoga. And the church is eating it up. It's crazy. Okay? As we saw before. Meditation right? They're coming in with meditation, okay? And what they're doing with meditation is they're saying, oh, no, no, see, this yoga is for good exercise, right? Uh, but, but meditation, that's a, a stress reliever. We're all stressed out. No, it's not. It's get you an altered state of consciousness. Now, it will have a physical effect on you, just like yoga, but that doesn't take away its spiritual uh, connotation. Now, as we saw last time, they're even getting us uh, to do what they do in their form of worship called murdies. Okay, with the image worship, and we saw with that latest craze, if you could believe it or not, adult coloring books, which is just the, you know, the images on the thing, and it's like, you've got to be kidding me, that's Hinduism uh, is going on there. Now, what we're going to finish up with, hopefully tonight, is one of the popular ones I said I'd get back to this in greater detail, well, tonight's that night, and that's what's going on in the church with what's called contemplative prayer. Contemplative prayer is simply Hinduism disguised, with Christianity slapped on top of it. That's all it is. Now, what we're going to see tonight is contemplative prayer. We're going to see some aspects of it, but we're going to see how it's also branched out into other uh, uh, aspects, okay? Little fringes, okay, just kind of spinoffs of it. Now, what the, the phrase in the church, you can't say, hey, Hinduism is witnessing to the American church. Pfft, can't say that. Everybody catch on. So what they're saying, the phrase that's going in the church is, and what I'm about to describe to you is, hey, folks, there's a new prayer movement of god in the church today no it's not it's hinduism let me demonstrate that for you okay but they're calling it a prayer movement supernatural power of god right and the first one that they're talking about contemplative prayer kind of spin off is what's called listening prayer okay listening prayer 
Okay, and this is in the church, the American church today. The Bible speaks of prayer, but not listening prayer. Okay, the idea of listening prayer is to spend time not just talking to the Lord, but mainly listening for his response. And we're talking in actual voice. Okay, uh, proponents of listening prayer point to verses such as this. This is one of the most abused texts in the scripture today. Psalm 46.10, be still and know that I am God. It has nothing to do with prayer, number one. And it's not an invitation to be quiet. Listen to this. Psalm 46, 10, and go home and read it tonight so you can understand the context of the whole chapter. Be still and know that I'm God. In the context of these words are not an invitation to a quiet time. God is rebuking the nations and he's telling them basically, shut up. It is in the Hebrew. I looked it up again. It's basically, shut your mouth. God is going to rebuke the nations, and how dare you talk back to God? Shut your mouth. has nothing to do with prayer, and it's not, it's, oh, it's time to, uh, oh, oh, uh. Blows me away. Okay, number one. Okay, now let's continue on. They also quote another verse out of context, John 10, 27. My sheep listen to my voice. Ooh. Well, yeah, when Jesus was there in his physical incarnation, he actually spoke. And you could hear him. And the people who heard him, who were uh, drawn by God's spirit, guess what? They understood. They understood the parables, right? Understood Jesus and followed Jesus, right? Okay? But, that, and that's all that means. It's not, you know, it just continues on today. It's not at all. And by the way, that passage has nothing to do, again, with prayer. So they're taking scripture, again, completely out of context, okay? But going beyond what scripture uh, says is what listening prayer is all about, okay? In fact, no kind of prayer is mentioned uh, at all in those texts, but that's what they do. They want to, quote, not just listen. They want to get, here's the phrase, a new revelation. A new revelation from God on a daily basis about uh, even the most mundane things. Like, you sit there, you're supposed to do this listening prayer thing. And basically, as we're going to see, it's, it's another way to get into an altered state of consciousness. And I'm not saying you won't actually hear a voice, but that doesn't mean it's the voice of God. If you want to hear the voice of God, where do you go? Right here. If you want to get a revelation from God, where do you go? Folks, you're not going to get a new revelation. That's a lie. If you and I are to say that we're going to get a new revelation from God, then number one, why are we not writing a new New Testament? Number two, if you're going to say that you're going to get a brand new spanking revelation outside of this, the canon of the scripture, okay, then we just lost all basis to witness to the Mormons. Because the whole basis of Mormonism, Joseph Smith, supposed to be a prophet of God, got a new revelation from God. And that's where you have that cult today. So if you're going to say you get new revelation outside this book today, it messes everything up. Everything we need to know and hear uh, is here recorded for us. We don't need uh, any more. And what, but they even go down, we're talking mundane things, okay? We're talking about uh, a new revelation for, uh, like, quote, and this is an example, don't eat sushi today. Follow, you know, if you're listening to this listening prayer, thing, hmm, don't eat sushi today. Well, I hear that every day, and that's just common sense. Uh, <laughs> personally, uh, raw fish and worms, no good. Okay, uh, anyway, sorry for those of you, I know you like sushi. But anyway, uh, follow the man with the red scarf, or withdraw your money from the bank, right? Or stop eating chicken. Now, that one might be from God, I don't know. No, I'm just kidding, just kidding. All right, uh, but uh, it's hard to overemphasize the dangers and quote nudges, feelings, intuitions, and random thoughts a person has, 
and putting that on the same level of Scripture. Again, it's not just, well, hey, I think that this may be the actual voice of God telling me to do this or to do that, but these people are putting this on par with the Scripture. Right? And how many times? And what's the Scripture say? Deuteronomy, right? If somebody professes to speak a word in God's name and they get it wrong, what are you supposed to do according to the Old Testament, the Jewish system? You were called to stone them, to kill them. That's, it's, why? Because you just, it didn't come to pass. You said this is from God, but it didn't come to pass, which means you make God to look out like a liar. Plus, you are taking people away from here. You can't go wrong. You can't be lied to if you stick with the book. But everything, oh no, and, and since when did, we said this before, since when did this come be, have you memorized this yet? Get to know the book, this, it's, it's all right here. The enemy wants you out of this book, even trying to spiritualize, say, oh, I got something new. And again, it's all just to keep you away from here. Everything we know, as the scripture says, for life and godliness, it's right here. Just read it. But oh no, I got this new technique and I'm going to get this new information from God. It's a trap, okay? And it opens up, listen, it says this, to assume that a vo the voice of a person hears in his mind is the voice of God is to leave the door wide open for self-delusion and demonic deception. And again, we're going to talk about this on Sunday in, in the next uh, sermon, Lord willing, on the wisdom of God, right? And in, in, in the premise of that, I don't want to give it away totally. Please come anyway. Uh, uh, but uh, is basically God is uh, omniscient. He knows everything. So if you need some advice, who do you go to? Right, God. The problem is we don't go to God, as crazy as that is, right? And that's the premise of the study. Okay, and one of the things we do, we listen to our feelings. I mean, isn't that what the scientists do? Whatever feels right, what feels good to you, whatever you do. Right? How many guys have been led astray by your feelings? Yeah. How many of you guys have been led astray and you're driving home, you're having a great time, Bible study, and you come up here to the corner over here at Nellison Lake Mead and you see that, that, that sign there. It's, 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 uh, it stands for keep feeling cruddy. Yeah, KFC, you know that's what it means. Okay? And you, and you know you shouldn't stop there, but you heard this voice. Oh, go to keep feeling cruddy. Oh, just And you felt horrible and you peeked your guts. How many of you guys have ever done that? Yeah, you know everybody should raise your hand. Right? But I'm here to help you. <clears throat> Let's just close in prayer. No, we've got a lot to go. But anyway, the feelings, right? Feelings are deceptive. Feelings are up, feelings are down. You don't determine reality on feelings, and yet this whole thing is just, oh, I heard of what the feeling is. And then it's bad enough that you can be led astray with that, but then you say, thus saith the Lord, whoa. Got a problem with that, okay? The practice of listening to prayer, people are told to, quote, clear their minds, which the Bible never says to do, and concentrate on hearing his supposed voice. The goal is to, quote, think God's thoughts and receive a new revelation. Again, since when did the Bible uh, get old? Okay, the Bible never instructs us to empty our minds and listen for special words or revelation from God. God expects us, I love this, to open your Bible and study what he's already said. The Bible is sufficient for all of our needs. Now, that's just one aspect. Another part of this contemplative prayer movement, okay, is what's called censoring prayer, okay? And this is one of the first things they want you to do when you get this new wave of prayer movement that's going on. No, it's not. It's Hinduism. It's all this. And it's all designed to get you into an altered state of consciousness. And I'm not saying you won't feel something. I'm not saying you won't hear something, but it's not the Spirit of God. 
It's Hinduism through and through. A centering prayer is the initial step of contemplative prayer, but of these uh, are the part, uh, it's, it's uh, a very familiar, we'll get to this next, uh, practice by the uh, Catholics called uh, Lectio Divina, which is Latin, we'll get to that in just a second. But in centering prayer, the practitioner, the other one is just, you know, empty your mind, you know, and all that stuff. Centering prayer, the practitioner focuses on a word and repeats that word over and over and over and over during the duration of the exercise. This is being taught in churches today. What does that sound like? A mantra. It's Hinduism through and through. But you can't say, hey, come and learn your Hindu mantra. Get into an altered state of consciousness. Hey, people wouldn't show up. So how do you dupe the the church? There's a new prayer movement of God. Don't you want to experience the power of God and get a new revelation? Don't you want to be awesome, right? Then do this new thing called centering prayer. Now, in Hinduism, they'll repeat the names of the Hindu deities. But see, this is just Christianized. Maybe you could just use the word Jesus or Holy Spirit or just God. That's a generic term nowadays. What God? Who's God? You're God, me, what? But you just repeat. It's a mantra. That's all it is. But it's called centering prayer. Okay, now it usually includes sitting comfortably uh, with your eyes closed, settling briefly and silently, introducing the sacred word. Yeah, maybe you can just go ahead and get into the lotus position while you're at it. It's followed by a period of, quote, opening one's mind, heart, and soul to the influence of God. Mm, I don't think it's going to be God. Okay, this might sound like an innocent exercise, but this type of prayer, again, has no scriptural support. It's the exact opposite. Again, we saw before when the Bible says uh, that we pray to God, we pray with what? With our minds. Philippians talks about we make a a, a pray to God, we make requests to God, right? That's thinking about it. You're using your cognizant mind. You're, You're speaking words. You're not just emptying your mind, trying to think of nothing. Completely the opposite. Okay, these verses uh, in the scripture talk about comprehensible communication to God, not some esoteric, mystical meditation meant to clear the mind of thought. And by the way, again, this is repeating it over and over and over and over and over again, right? What did Jesus say in Matthew 6? We already saw this. When he said to pray, teach us to pray. All right, how do you pray? First thing he said before he got to the Lord's Prayer, what did he say? Don't be like the pagans who... Babble on and on and on and on. It's exact, it's the exact opposite of what Jesus said to do for true biblical prayer. But again, it's all designed to get you into an altered state of consciousness, to feel the so-called spirit. Now, the next one is the uh, the, the Catholic one. Okay, very uh, uh, familiar. I want to get the spelling there correct uh, correct for you. Uh, Lecto Divinia. Okay, and this is basically Latin for divine reading or holy reading. Okay, and this is a practice that's been around for quite some time in the Catholic Church, but it's basically uh, the Catholic monk's form of meditation, right? And you're going to have an experience, all right, but it doesn't mean it's coming from God. Uh, It's still being promoted today. Let me give you a quote just even recently, somewhat recently. Pope Benedict XVI, he said in a 2005 speech, quote, I would like in particular to recall and recommend the ancient tradition of Lectio Divinia. Okay, so what, what, what is that? What does that look like? Well, uh, this practice begins with a time of relaxation. <sighs> Making oneself comfortable. Clearing the mind of the most mundane thoughts and cares. What do you think we're starting to get into right now? Hinduism. You can call it Catholic, you can call it Shemathic. I don't care what you, It's Hinduism, right? You can call it Latin something. It's Hinduism. Okay, that's all it is. Uh, and then some uh, practitioners find it helpful by, uh, to concentrate by beginning with deep cleansing breaths. What's that? 
It's a form of meditation, right? When you know anything about Hindu is meditation. I did this back in the New Age days. Breathe in one nostril, breathe out the other nostril. I did all that stuff. It's all to get you slowly into an altered state of consciousness. Been there, done that. It's the same thing, okay? Uh, and, then, and then, not only after you do that, meditation, then repeat a chosen phrase or word several times to help, quote, free the mind. What's that? It's the same thing. It's Hinduism repackaged, okay? And they're doing it as well. Then you're supposed to read a Bible passage gently and slowly several times, quote, the passage itself is not so much important as it is listening to the still small voice. <gasps> they use biblical terminologies. It's, it's got to be biblical. no. Again, you might hear a voice, but that doesn't mean it's the voice of God, okay? Then you're supposed to reflect on the text of the passage and respond by opening your heart to God. And then freeing of oneself uh, from one's own thoughts, both mundane and holy, and just sitting there what, waiting for what? Here it comes again, the voice of God. What's, what, what, what is that? Hinduism, that's all it is. Let me give you another one. Now, we're getting into a little bit deeper. And this, this next one's called soaking prayer. Oh, wow, that's got to be biblical. Listen to this, because again, this prayer movement. So many churches are getting sucked up into this baloney. And all it is is Hinduism. It's, just, it's like a diamond. You've got one diamond, right? But a diamond has many facets. But it's still one diamond. This is the same thing as prayer movement. Oh, no, hey, how about listening prayer? Well, if you didn't fall for that, how about centering prayer? Oh, you didn't find that? Let's sound super spiritual and liturgical. Uh, Lectio Divinia. Uh, you don't like that one? It's too catholic for you? How about soaking prayer? Just all different facets of the same baloney. It's Hinduism. Now, soaking prayer, listen to this. Soaking prayer uh, describes as resting in God's presence. Sounds instant enough. But this is accomplished by playing some gentle worship songs either sitting or lying down, or praying short, simple prayers for an extended period of time. But otherwise, here, here it comes again, keeping your mind free of other thoughts. So now you're using music to get yourself into an altered state of consciousness. Anybody else do that? What did we see before? What do they do in the ashrams and the Hindu communities? What's well, one of the ways they get you into an altered state of consciousness? Chanting, but also with music. Music is a powerful tool that can be used with physical behavior to get you into an altered state of consciousness. Now, at the point, listen to this, how do you know when you've achieved the goal of soaking prayer? Quote, at the point when you sense, quote, God's presence. Oh, well, it might be a presence, all right. doesn't mean it's from God. Um, through some type of manifestation, like, quote, tingling skin, a sensation of heat or cold, or even a gentle wind seemingly blowing through your body. And, and at that point, when you feel this actual physical sensation, you just soak it in. We've already dealt with this again with the intimacy of God issue. Right? It's, quote, when you sense God's presence. Here's a deep theological question. When did God ever leave? God is omnipresent. We never enter God's presence. You might acknowledge it, but he's been there the whole time. It's an unbiblical phrase, right? God is with us wherever we go. That's the beauty of this personal relationship we had, as we already saw before, a couple Sundays ago, right? What's the great promise from Jesus? Right before he goes to the right hand of the Father, he tells his disciples not only get out there and make disciples, he says what? Hey, in other words, don't freak out. It's going to be okay. I'm going to the right hand of the Father, but what? I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. When did God ever leave? And then just because you feel a sensation, goosebumps on top of your goosebumps, or a change in the atmosphere, that doesn't make it the Spirit of God. 
I'll tell you when I gave my testimony, I, you guys heard me say this, and unfortunately, before being a Christian, being familiar with demonic issues, you, you will have a goosebump, hairs go up, and it will get cold, extremely shaking cold when demons show up. Okay, So that doesn't make it uh, the Spirit of God as well. But let's continue on. Nowhere in the Bible, obviously, can this model of prayer be found. Soaking prayer quickly devolves into a trance-like meditative state that becomes more New Age and Hinduism for those who practice it. But if that didn't work, let's go for round six. This has got to be biblical, right? How about sozo prayer? Ooh, that's, that's Greek. That's got to be biblical. No, it's not. Sozo prayer is defined uh, sozo, of course, uh, mean, well, like save, save or deliver, uh, uh, is a unique inner healing uh, deliverance ministry in which the main aim is to get at the root of those things, hindering your personal connection with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. You know what our biggest culprit is? Uh, it's called sin. And you want to you get rid of it? It's called uh, stop. <laughs> you don't have to go, sozo, prayer, altered state of consciousness. It's a bunch of baloney. Okay, sozo prayer requires the practitioner, here we go, you need help this time. You need a mediator. You need a guide who is trained to walk you through a time of prayer and reflection to uh, facilitate intimacy with God. Excuse me? Who give, it's, it's, thank you, Tom. I'll give you a piece of gum. That makes you up for getting lost showing up here later. Right? Okay, uh, but What? That's a Hindu guru, right? It's like a Catholic priest. You have to have a mediator. We, we, don't, we have one mediator between God and man, Jesus Christ. That's it. We go directly to God, right? And do we need somebody to fix the intimacy issue? No. It's a personal relationship with God. We confess our sins. Hey, praise God. If we confess our sins, what? We need to go through sozo prayer and get it right with the mediator. No, he is faithful. Praise God he's faithful and just, and he will forgive us of all of our sins and cleanse it from all unrighteousness. I don't need this baloney, but this is being taught in churches today, okay? And it requires this uh, facilitator person, and intimacy of God is achieved by, what's the scripture say? You want to grow in intimacy with God? Through Bible study, prayer, regular church attendance, obedience, not some mystical journey. Oh, by the way, it's not just a journey. It's a journey into your past. I have to get you as this mediator person, supposedly Christian, and I have to get you into this altered state of consciousness, and I have to take you back into your past to find out what is inhibiting your walk with God. What does that sound like? Hypnotism sounds like secular psychology, using your past life, therapy, new age, all that wrapped up into one. It's the same thing, but now this is in the church. Okay? Sozo is much closer to new age mysticism than Christianity. Uh, participants are encouraged to get into a mild trance state while being led into a series of mental, emotional rooms or stages whereby they're connecting with their own deeper feelings and thoughts and to have a new experience with God. You're going to have a new experience, all right. But it's not from God. Now, according to the Bethel Sozo website, one of the goals of Sozo is for, uh, to enable participants to, quote, heal your relationship with God and enable you to fulfill your destiny. Who heals our relationship with God? Jesus Christ, not some man, not some technique. It's the blood of Jesus Christ on the cross. We have peace with God through Jesus Christ, Paul talks about in Romans. That's it. 
Jesus is the one. Oh, it's crazy, okay? The Bible tells us that the Christian's destiny is death to self and obedience to Christ through faith and his power and saving grace. That's it. Okay, well, that's it. Well, you didn't fall for that. You didn't, you didn't go for the contemplative or the listening or the censoring or the, the Latin version of the soaking. The Greek version, so so. Tell you what, how about you try this latest in the prophetic prayer movement? Right? And that's exactly what it's called. It's the prophetic prayer. Maybe you could try prophetic prayer. Maybe that'll be the ticket for a closer walk with Jesus. Right? Uh, well, obviously, this, again, has no foundation in Scripture. Practitioners of so-called prophetic prayer, and everything I'm describing is being taught in churches across America now. Practitioners of prophetic prayer believe they're praying the very words of God into the world. This type of prayer is performed by self-styled prophets who believe they can deliver messages straight from the throne room of God, thus acting supposedly as conduits of God's word, making their prayers prophetic. Excuse me, once again, you're outside the realm of Scripture. Okay, Hebrews 1 clearly says, verse 1 and 2, that in the past God did speak to us by the prophets, but in these last days, who has he spoken to us through? His son. Where's the words of his son given and recorded for us? Right here in the Bible. It's all we need. Revelation says, hey, don't you dare not only take away more or add to this book. And it's not just Revelation. It's all the scripture in the context there. And so if you're saying you're going to get a new revelation, you're adding to it. Very dangerous ground. You don't want to, you don't want to go there. But they actually believe that. And they, uh, they want to get further revelations from God. But prophetic prayer is commanding, listen, commanding this so-called prophetic vision to be fulfilled in the earth with the result that God's supposed will is accomplished. It's taught in uh, different ministries, uh, in charismatic ministries, bringing, quote, God's judgment on the earth and ushering in God's kingdom. Does the church usher in God's kingdom? No, God does that. God does not need man. He does not need the church. And he's going to do it in his own sweet time. And Jesus Christ, Revelation 19, he's the one that's going to institute it, not man. And certainly not these guys who are saying that you're a prophet, or gals, unfortunately, saying that you're a prophet, and God is bound by your words to bring judgment to the earth then and there. Wow. I'll stand over here when the lightning bolt. This is crazy. This is how bold and brash and crazy it's getting, folks, in the church today. Okay? And, uh, but let's continue on. Uh, Matthew 6, of course, teaches us to submit to God's will. It doesn't teach us that we possess special powers to actualize God's will. And again, God's uh, timetable is going to uh, uh, come to pass uh, when he wants it. Okay, Demanding his judgment to fall and his kingdom to come at the will of a prophet today is arrogant and blasphemous. I love this. Isaiah 46, 11. God speaking, what I have said, that will I bring about. What I have planned, that I will do. He doesn't need Man, when someone engages in so-called prophetic prayer, he is not asking for God's will to be done. He is commanding God's will to be done. Arrogant, arrogant, arrogant. Now, where's this coming from as we get ready to close? Well, a couple different sources. Uh, one of them is what's called the Jesus culture. Now, the Jesus culture uh, is big on music. Is music bad? Did we make a big mistake in hiring Ken? No. Somebody say no, he's right there. He's looking at me too. No, no, of course not. Music is great. Music's all over the Bible. Music's awesome. Music, though, is being used to lead people astray. Now, we talked about this before. If you study church history, what are some of the ways that the false teachers got the church to buy into false teaching? They put the false teaching to music, and music has a wonderful way of getting stuck in your head, especially if it's a really cool jingle, right? Nah, nah, right? I am stuck on band-aids. 
And they stuck on me. How, how many years ago was that? And you still know it. It wasn't just me, because you guys were laughing too. Right? I wish I was an Oscar Mayer. Wiener. Yeah, can just laugh. You don't know that when you're too young. But anyway, <laughs> go look it up on YouTube. But anyway, and bond with us. But anyway, so... <laughs> So but they get stuck in your head. But listen, it's music is just music, but the words to it are not necessarily neutral. And so false teachings being put to music, we talked about this before in the intimate part with music. And, and, but, this is, but Jesus Culture is a movement in 1999. It started out as a youth group and expanded to an international influence. Music, of course, conferences uh, aimed at young people. Again, hey, this, we need to reach young people, not against that, okay? Uh, but the whole premise is to seek, quote, and experience the radical love of God. There is not an emphasis on sin or repentance. It's just this experience. Experience the radical love of God. The founder of the movement is uh, uh, Banning Liebscher from Bethel Church, a charismatic church pastored by Bill Johnson in Redding, California, not very far from where I used to pastor myself uh, in Northern California. Uh, the church uh, teaches that the positions of the apostle and prophet are still valid for today, determining doctrine. So we're going outside the scripture again. And so what these supposed new prophets and apostles say is good as the scripture. Major problem. Okay, it's going on there. Uh, and again, no emphasis, uh, by and large, on repentance and faith. Uh, they emphasize, again, experience, signs and wonders, visions, supposed healings, and all that stuff. In fact, Johnson teaches that believers who are sick have allowed the sickness into their lives and that those who are not healed from sickness, quote, should realize it's not God's fault. Guess what they need? They need a greater anointing. It's your fault. You haven't gone through these techniques. You've got to be kidding me. That's just one influence. The other one is this place, IHOP. Not the pancake place. It stands for International House of Prayer. Now, this is based out of Kansas City, again, starting uh, in 1999, same time frame. Uh, this guy, is his name is Mike Bickle. Now, I, I can only hit the highlights of this tonight because we need to finish this up. When we get into our study on the whole chapter on charismatic stuff, believe you me, we're going to go down uh, deep on this as well. But this is another movement out of Kansas City. And again, it started on uh, prayer, 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That's awesome. Is it wrong to pray? Of course not. And pray continually. Of course not. It's, it's gone into something totally different. Uh, the unusual practices uh, and the loyalty of these IHOP members have led many to question if IHOP is not, in fact, a cult. The International House of Prayer has adopted many practices of, right here we just saw, the contemplative prayer movement and mysticism. Okay? They employ prayer in word of faith manner, claiming things from God rather than submitting to his will. And you, know, you got the force and you can claim it and healing and this. and God's bound to do you know, a bunch of that stuff. And, uh, of course, the prophetic prayer and all that other stuff. Uh, another concern is their connection with another group called the Kansas City Prophets. Okay? And, again, this is the whole thing. These guys are, thus saith the Lord, and it, well, then why aren't you writing a new Bible? Right? And things of that nature. Uh, and there's been many reports of spiritual abuse, abuse prophetic manipulation, uh, et cetera, et cetera. And that's just the tip of the iceberg. And, again, we'll get into that much, much later. Now, <clears throat> it's working so well, because everything I just described to you, has been repackaged, Christianized. All it is is Hinduism coming into the church. It's all it is. Altered state of consciousness, meditation, the whole nine yards. It's working so well that there is, it is making a difference in the church. And the church is making connection with spirit. It's just not the spirit of God. Now, in Hinduism, the reason why they do these practices, and they don't use Christian terms because it's not Christianity. Right? The church is being duped. 
Right? The whole premise is to get an altered state of consciousness is to hopefully wake up what's called the kundalini, as we saw the serpent force. And if you remember, we saw with the chakra, we might get into chakras more into Buddhism, just to kind of uh, get you more equipped on that. But basically, at the base of the spine, you've got a, a chakra points throughout your body, starting at the base of the spine, and you work your way up into the third eye, which is the top, and that's when you're fully illuminated and things of that nature. But the whole point of doing these exercises, yoga, and these, these meditative movements, and all this altered state of consciousness, and mantras, and repetition, is to awaken that spirit force, which is the serpent, which they think is a good thing, okay, the kundalini force, in you to activate that spirit and to take over. They call it the kundalini. Now, this is from Andrew Strom, and been researching on this uh, across the globe, and with all this movement, listen to what he says is happening to the church. Okay, it's Hinduism to the max. He says, I want to show you some of the shocking things and how similar they are to the kundalini cults of Hinduism and the New Age movement and Eastern religions. I believe this is the worst invasion in church history. What became known <clears throat> as the Toronto Blessing, you guys remember that? Okay, uh, went worldwide and everybody knew what that was about. People falling down, acting drunk, laughing hysterically, shaking uncontrollably, jerking backwards and forwards, head shaking back and forth and crazy stuff, uh, roaring like lions, barking like dogs, all kinds of animal voices. It invaded worldwide, all around the world, England, UK, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, United States, unfortunately, uh, all over the world. <clears throat> now, in Hinduism, listen, people don't get this until they get equipped with what Hinduism teaches and what they do. In Hinduism, one of the most common ways to experience a kundalini awakening is through a guru, okay, placing his hand on your forehead. This is called the Shakti Pat, P-A-T, and when they do that, they place your hand on your forehead, you become infused with this incredible love and this wave of emotion, and you fall down. Does that sound familiar? Hmm. Then, when you fall down, this is in Hinduism, by the Hindu guru and the demonic power that he does on people. There will be manifestations, this is in Hinduism, making animal noises, joy, weeping, and shaking. This is a kundalini awakening, and amazingly, it's the exact same thing that we've seen in the Toronto blessing. One of the very clearest signs that a person has had a kundalini awakening is these things called kriyas. Okay, kriyas in Hinduism are people, now they're basically possessed, okay, people walking around with involuntary jerking motions staggering about. Seen any video clips on YouTube of that in church services? We're seeing this again and again with the exact same type of kriyas uh, through this Toronto movement and others. And this has been one of the clearest signs of a kundalini awakening that we know of. A friend of mine in South Africa has done a tremendous amount of research on this topic. He says that the kundalini is like a false holy spirit. It produces even miracles and healings, infusions of love and power and energy and emotion and all those kinds of things. And yet it's the Hindu version of the holy spirit, yet it's not holy. Now, real quickly, it's getting extremely dark. You keep doing this, you keep going down that route, it's just not good enough. I remember when I got involved in New Age and even with a, a Satanism and that stuff, at first it's kind of like, oh, you kind of know you're doing something wrong, but you kind of get seduced in it. And the more you get into it, the darker it got. It was dark the whole time. But the more you went down it, the darker it got. Now, all this behavior is leading to a new trend, as we saw before in our opening study. It's called grave sucking. Now they're trying to get a supposed anointing from dead people. Now, what's the Bible say about trying to communicate or work with dead people? What's the term for it? Necromancy. Okay, is that something that God wants us to do? 
No, and this is exactly what this is doing. Grave sucking, as it's called now, or mantle grabbing, is the belief and practice of pulling supposed Holy Spirit powers from the dead bones of previously so-called empowered believers. It's taught that when the Holy Spirit uh, empowers an individual, when they die, their mantle and mission dies with them, and that God's mission for that believer was thwarted when they died. So in other words, God's made a mistake. Oops, whoa, whoa, now you're attacking the character of God. And then, as believers, we must find a way to retrieve the mantle or anointing from the rotting corpse six feet under. And then and only then can we get God's plan back on track. This is achieved by placing your hands on the gravestone of the deceased or lying on top of the grave. And sometimes a prayer will be offered to God to aid in this perceived power transfer. Photographs of people saying, and maybe they are Christians, I don't know the heart. They're lying on top of dead people's graves trying to suck their anointing off. you got to be kidding me. Benny Hinn, false teacher, we all know that, hopefully. Even he got into this. This is where he claims he got his power. From the grave of Amy Simple McPherson, who was a pillar of the early charismatic movement. Quote from Benny Hinn, I felt a terrific anointing when I was there at her grave, at her tomb. He says, I trembled when I visited Amy's tomb. I was shaking all over. God's power came all over me. I felt the anointing uh, had lingered over Amy's body. I've heard of people healed when they visited her tomb. They were totally healed by God's power. You say, what a crazy thing. He said, brother, there's things we'll never understand. Are you hearing me? No, I'm not, you heretic. I'm sorry, what else are you going to call it? That is absolutely crazy. The Bible certainly does not say... uh, grave sucking. In fact, Isaiah 8 9 says this, and when they shall say to you, seek unto them that have familiar spirits, demons, and unto wizards or sorcery, mediums, um, should not a people seek their God for the living than the dead? Look how twisted it's becoming. Instead of seeking God, people are going to the dead to get supposed power from. Now, real quick as we close, it's leading to even darker than that. Now, uh, we might get into this maybe a little bit more in the occult, maybe Buddhism, because it all blends together. As we talked about the, the one version of yoga that I said is absolutely satanic, well, this is where we're at. It's called tantra uh, yoga or tantric, however you want to say it, yoga, okay? And basically, it involves uh, Satanism. Uh, it involves also sexual practices. And can I tell you what the latest trend now is in yoga? Just came out last week. I heard of it. Naked yoga. Naked yoga when we're naked, quote, it's like we're all the same. Only if you close your eyes. <laughs> which you should do, but I'm not recommending this. You've got to be kidding me. The yoga studio now offers all nude co-ed classes uh, to help people overcome issues and vulnerability. Uh, the practice of naked yoga is called uh, Nagna Yoga in the Sanskrit and has been spiritual rotation since ancient times. So this is nothing new. This is Hinduism, right? And the, the practitioners... Uh, I've been doing it in India. Okay, now why would they want now to get you into naked yoga and sexual practices? Well, because that's when it gets really dark. Again, the whole thing's dark, period. But now it gets really dark with the Tantra. Uh, tantra, and we're going to get into this because uh, i got to close tonight. Tantra yoga and tantric yoga, okay, is basically Satanism. Okay, and what's also called the left-hand path. It's black witchcraft. Okay. And so now it's finally got you down to this point where you're open to any kind of yoga, peanut butter and jelly yoga, hot yoga, this yoga, that yoga, right? So everything's yoga now. And now it's naked yoga. Well, why would you want me to get to that? Because ultimately, we want to get you to this phrase, and you're deep into Satanism. Quote, Tantranism 
Uh, Tantrism can be found in both Hindu and Buddhist varieties. Hindu tantric practice is generally divided among two paths, the Vama Marga or the left-hand path. And again, we're going to get into this much greater detail when we get into our chapter on the occult and Satanism. But just by way of closing tonight with this connection with Hinduism, that's the uh, left-hand path or uh, the Dakshinchara or the right-hand path or the white tantra. One's supposed to be red. One, I don't care white, red, green, whatever color you call it, it's all dark, right? It's just like saying, well, I only eat baked chicken instead of fried chicken. It's still chicken. It's evil. <laughs> so don't fall for that, right? So black magic, white magic. You hear people say, oh, it's just white magic. I practice. No, it's, it's, it's magic. It's, black. it's bad, right? right? Left-hand tantra involves actual sexual practices as part of its rituals, while right-hand path tantra involves non-sexual yoga practices, so the nude yoga right? Okay. It's interesting to note that in common usage of India today, the term Tantra has come to mean, and I quote, black magic. While in the West, that term has come to refer to mostly the hippie-like sacred sex yoga classes. <laughs> Call it what you want. It's black magic. Now, how to get over here? We'll get into this again later in study. Well, there was a guy who began to popularize the left-hand path version of this Tantra, and his name... I'll give you the last name. Anybody guess his first name? Anton LaVey. Who's Anton LaVey? He's the founder of the Church of Satan. Lord willing, we're going to get into another historical thing. Well, where'd he get it from? Well, he got it from a lady named Helena Blavatsky. Ooh, where'd she get it from? Well, we'll, we'll deal with that later. But basically, tant this is a direct quote. Tantra and modern Satanism are both the left-hand path. Now, as we close... If you don't still see the connection with that, uh, the Church of Satan has a symbol, and that symbol is the Baphomet. Now, if you noticed about the Baphomet, as soon as I pull it up, you'll recognize it. The Baphomet, okay, is part male, female. You got some parts with the goat head, okay? But notice what position this thing is sitting in. Where does that come from? Hinduism. Also, certain statues of Buddha, we'll get into this, our Buddha issue, there's certain poses of Buddha. The, the, uh, the Buddha protection pose has the hands in the exact same thing. Right hand up, left hand down. Exactly Satanism, folks. That's all it is. It's all been repackaged. It's all creeping into the church. And most people have no clue what's really going on because they don't understand Hinduism and they don't understand the scripture. And today it's all about feeling good and experience. And both of those things have nothing to do with becoming a disciple of this. But if you can trick people as many different ways as you can, do anything you want. Make it sound as Christian as you want. Just don't get in this book. And people will be led astray. And that's what's happened today. Well, hi, this is Pastor Billy Crone of Sunrise Baptist Church and Get a Life Ministries. And I hope you enjoyed today's study. But in closing, before you go, let me ask you one final question. If you were to die today... Are you sure that you go to heaven and not hell? You see, here's the problem. The Bible says that nobody automatically gets to go to heaven. And that's because God is holy and we are not. The Bible says that the wages of our sin or our unholiness or the wrong things that we have done have separated us from God. And the wages of our sin or unholiness uh, means that we deserve to die and receive God's judgment to go to hell and not heaven. In other words, we're disqualified for heaven. And that's because God being holy and us being not, the two cannot mix. 
So what are we going to do? Well, that's bad enough. The other problem is we don't even want to admit this dilemma, even though God already knows it all. And so out of love, God gave us something called the Ten Commandments to show us that we're really disqualified for heaven. We're not holy. We're not perfect like him. Uh, let's take a, a look at just a few of those uh, here today. Uh, the Bible says, the Ten Commandments says, you shall not bear false witness. That means lying. How many of you have ever told a lie before? Well, those of you who didn't raise your hand, you just did. Okay, let's be honest, folks. Let's not tell another lie. We've all lied. Well, believe it or not, that disqualifies you for heaven. That's how holy God is. He is the truth. He does not lie. And so that makes us a liar. Another of the Ten Commandments says you shall not steal. Okay? How many have ever taken anything without permission? Well, all of our hands should have went up at that one. Uh, we've already said we're a bunch of liars. Okay? Well, we've all done that. And it doesn't have to be a bank. Uh, it could be a pencil in the third grade. Uh, that means that we're a thief. Okay? The Bible says that God is so holy, even his name is holy. And that's why one of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not use the Lord's name in vain. Hey, folks, isn't it ironic how uh, now the blessed name of Jesus Christ, the Bible says there's no other name under heaven by which men might be saved, Jesus Christ, has now become a cuss word? Folks, the Bible says that's the sin of blasphemy. Okay? And folks, let's be honest. We've used God's name in vain uh, before. The Bible also says in the Ten Commandments, you shall not commit adultery. And Jesus takes the standard even higher. He says, listen, it's not just physical adultery. He says, surely I tell you that if you look at another person with lust in your eye, you've committed adultery in your heart. God looks at the heart. One more out of the Ten Commandments says, you shall not murder. And you might say, well, hey, I haven't done that one. Really? The Bible says that the sin of hatred is akin to the sin of murder. You, in other words, in your heart, wish they were dead. You pulled the trigger, if you will, in your own heart. And the Bible says God sees that, and it's just as bad. He knows the mind. He knows the hearts, the thoughts, and the intents that we have. Folks, that's just five out of the Ten Commandments. How are you doing? Not very well. None of us can keep them. They're God's x-ray to show us that we're disqualified. And so when, not if, your time comes, because we're all marching towards the grave at different speeds, you're going to have to stand before God and you're going to have to uh, say who you really are. He already knows. Hey, God, let me into heaven. Uh, I'm, I'm a liar. I'm a thief. I'm a blasphemer, adulterer, and a murderer. Folks, the Bible is clear. Such people as these will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. That's the problem. Here's the good news. God so loved the world that he sent his one and only begotten son, Jesus Christ, that whoever believes in him, what he did on the cross, on our behalf, that we will not perish, we will not go to hell, but he will give us the gift of eternal life. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of all of our sins. It's something that we don't earn, we, we, we can't earn. It's a gift, the Bible calls it, and a gift cannot be earned. He was taking the death penalty in our place. That's what the cross was of the day. And that if we would just ask Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sins, and believe that in our heart that God raised him from the grave, showing that his death is satisfactory to God to forgive us of all of our sins, no matter what we've done, the Bible says we shall be saved. Uh, the Apostle Paul says that if we confess with our mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in our heart that God raised him from the grave, we will be saved. Let me give you a common analogy of what God's doing and what he did for us with Jesus dying on the cross on our behalf. 
uh, in life, we know that people uh, can be sentenced for a crime uh, to where they're actually on death row. Uh, the courtroom scene has completely finished. The gavel has already sounded. Uh, they are going to jail and they're just awaiting their time before they go to the death penalty. Uh, as they're sitting there in the jail cell, uh, it, it's a proven fact they did what they did. Everybody knows it. They're just waiting for that time for their uh, number to come up, so to speak, and walk down that hall and be executed. Uh, there's nothing they could do to reverse their crime. No amount of good works in that jail cell can reverse what they've done. It's too late. It's over. But believe it or not, there's one way that people even today can get off a of death row. And that's if the one in authority, the governor, if he were to, out of mercy and kindness, nothing that the person did, because they don't earn it and they don't deserve it, and they can't earn it, if he would grant them what's called a pardon, out of the kindness of his heart, he has the authority to grant them a pardon and absolve them completely of their crimes uh, against the state. And did you know that there's actually been people that this has happened to, that the governor, out of mercy, has granted them a pardon as a gift, and they've gone down to the jail cell and handed that person, extended it through the bars, here, I'm granting you a pardon. If you would just receive it, you can go free right now. And did you know that there's actually been people who've said, no, I don't want your pardon. And so what happened is of their own doing, even though they had a way out, they still had to go to the death penalty. Folks, can I tell you something? That's what God did for us with Jesus dying on the cross. He sent his son to take the death penalty in our place. He, God, has the authority to grant us through Jesus a complete pardon. And every day that you're still alive, God is extending to you spiritually this pardon. But a pardon does you no good unless you reach out and receive it by faith. Won't you do that today? Won't you call upon the name of Jesus Christ? Ask him to forgive you of all of your sins. To trust in his work on the cross. To pardon us from all of our crimes, our sins against God. God loves you. He wants a relationship with you. But there's only one way to heaven. It's Jesus. There's only one way to get off a death row. It's through the cross of Jesus Christ. Won't you do that? right now well this has been pastor billy crone of sunrise baptist church and and get a life ministries and if there's anything that we can do for you uh please don't hesitate uh to contact us uh our number our information will uh come up here on the screen shortly and uh, uh if there's anything we could do for you please don't hesitate to let us know uh thank you for uh joining us and uh remember i hope to see you in heaven god bless